You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. As you can imagine, growing and selling established trees to the horticultural and landscape industries comes with a unique set of challenges when compared with nurseries that are growing other types of plants. In this episode, our guest interviewer Karen Smith, who's the editor of this episode's sponsor, Hort Journal Australia, interviews one of their writers, Matthew Davis, who's also director of the Established Tree Transplanters Nurseries in Australia. Together they take us into the mindset of somebody growing and transplanting established trees and teach us how we as an industry need to approach purchasing established trees in ways that avoid missing out on the trees we want. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Karen. And you? Great. I'm really good. Nice to speak to you today. And um, let's just start by you telling us a little bit about uh, your business. Yeah, so uh, Established Tree Transplanters is the uh, the original name of the business that was created 40, I think it's 44 years ago. Um, wow. And it... Uh, the name still reflects it doesn't necessarily describe the nursery so uh, it describes how the business originally started so established tree transplanters is is was our core business actually transplanting or relocating trees and not necessarily in nurseries but in people's gardens um, and then and as it as it turned out the major turning stone was a uh, an article that was uh, in the in a local paper in the uh, city of Waverley, I think it was at the time, uh, in Melbourne, uh, and they were going to be cutting down some twenty-year-old elm trees uh, on the on the fringes of the side of the road because they were doing a road widening. And uh, Dad saw the article. He just got back from England and worked with a tree transplanting company in the UK, and he came back and he saw the article and he went and knocked on council's door and. He'd been moving trees in people's gardens and bits and pieces like that. Um, and he he went and knocked on the council's door and said, no, no, don't cut these down. I can actually move them. And they laughed at him and they said, no, you can't do that. And he said, look, I'll, I'll move them. And there was 80 trees. And he did wow. it all by himself and hand dug them um, and moved them wider and said to the council, if they live, you can pay me. But in the meantime, because they didn't believe it could be done, um, he did the works and then, uh, yeah, later that spring they all came back into leaf and he'd moved them and the widening of the road existed and the trees are still there today. So that is the the core of the business. And then as time went on, mum and dad both saw a need to uh, grow advanced trees. So it wasn't just about moving trees in people's gardens or for local government, but they saw a need for advanced trees. There wasn't a lot going on back in the 60s and early 70s and um, people were just growing trees in buckets and cans and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, Dad had already seen in England that they grew their trees in the ground. Um, so he started, he leased a block of land in Mombok, which is sort of uh, in the Dandenongs, behind the Dandenongs in, in Melbourne, which is ideal sort of nursery environment. Um, and planted out trees in the ground and then started selling those trees and hand digging them using his skills of established tree transplanters. And then over time it grew. Um, and then today, you know, he's grown from that five leased acres. Then he 
moved into Wandon, which was 40 acres. And then I think all up today, we grow advanced trees and that's all we do uh, from sort of 2.5 metres through to 12 metres um, across a thousand acres. So it, it's uh, wow. really taken off. So that's that's the story behind established tree transplanters. And today yeah, we call what a lovely story. Yeah, so today we call it established tree transplanters and nurseries because nurseries is pretty much 70% of our work. We still do a lot of external transplanting, uh, but one of the key things is, um, yeah, is the nursery these days. Well, it's certainly a lovely story and, um, you know, hats off to your parents for having the uh, foresight to do that and, and that's kept you and the family in business all these years. It's fantastic. So because you're growing advanced trees, um, I should imagine that's quite a long turnover between when you actually start the tree growing. Mm. Um, do you start them from seeds, cuttings, you know, yep. grafting, whatever? We produce from, you know, from seedlings, cuttings, grafting, budding. Uh, we have a separate division within the business that uh, operates on that front and that does all about 80% of our production material and then the rest we source in from, you know, other specialised growers. We grow about 350 different varieties of purely trees um, and it's exotic through to evergreen, through to Australian native. Um, and the youngest tree we probably sell would be six years old when it's come to market. Uh, and some of the big stuff that we sell that are 12 metres tall there, sort of 25 to 30 years old, some some trees that I wasn't even involved with in the production process. Wow. So, uh, so it makes it challenging to uh, have the product for, for the clients because we're six years behind the eight ball on our smallest line. Yes. And so your client are mostly uh, landscape architects, I suppose, uh, councils, uh, any, anywhere that's doing big company that's working on big developments. Yeah, so we're, we're purely wholesale. Uh, so our client spread ends up being local government, uh, state government, um, federal bodies, uh, then major commercial builders uh, through to landscape contractors who are delivering the projects uh, and then also the specifiers, which we call designers and, um, you know, the landscape architects. Uh, and then obviously there is the what we call the sort of uh, residential landscape market. Whilst we don't sell directly to the owners, we sell to the landscapers that are building those gardens. So it's quite diverse um, and each product has a different spot. You know, the commercial guys are, are volume numbers for housing developments, the, lo the local government, you know, are streetscapes. Uh, and then your high-end residential and your high-end apartment commercial buildings is a different product again. And uh, no doubt you have to have specialist equipment to be moving all those mm. advanced trees around, and I, I'm sure that comes with its own set of challenges with probably blocking off roads and things when, you know, big big when you're going into big sites. Is that yeah, often an issue for you? Yeah, it, you know, there's a lot of machinery involved in, in what we do. Um, which uh, unfortunately 
makes installing large trees particularly an expensive process because often you need cranes and traffic management and all that sort of stuff. But um, a lot of the clients that are buying that kind of material are one, buying time. You know, they're putting in a tree that's 25 years old, so the value is definitely there for them or it's a big building that's, you know, multi-million dollar build. You know, the trees are probably insignificant in reality from the cost of the build but yeah a lot of heavy machinery and not just on the sites also at the nursery itself we uh, have lots of tree spades because 60 percent of our material is grown in the ground and then 40 percent is grown in containers um, so then handling that on site we have tractor mounted cranes uh, you know lots of lots of heavy machinery to move the gear around our, our heaviest trees could weigh up to 18 ton 20 ton and our smallest trees might weigh might weigh 100 kilos so yeah yeah big a big range there isn't it yeah it's massive and and so um i expect there's also challenges when it comes to um filling out orders or when you receive plans um from specifiers and they might suggest well look you know we want a particular tree and we need it so big um, is, does that pose challenges for you because it takes you so long to produce those trees? Like yeah. what sort of challenges? That, that's our biggest challenge, Karen, is that um, often, and it's no fault of the specifiers, but often their jobs are being built next week in some cases and other times it might be a job that comes up in two years. And as I mentioned previously, the smallest product that we grow is often six years old. So if we don't have it, it makes it very hard to get it. Um, So, yeah, our biggest challenge is trying to grow product that people keep specifying. And, And there is a lot of baseline trees that keep turning up because they're um, they're tried and tested and they work. But the other problem we have is that, um, you know, everyone's trying to do something different. We're trying to try new things all the time um, and we might not necessarily have that. And, and, and people think ordering trees two years in advance is, is, is really ahead of the times. But if I haven't grown it four years before that, it's, it's not going to be available in anything bigger than three or four metres tall. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really ch- tricky challenge through the whole nursery supply chain, not just with what we do, but for our suppliers that supply our smaller stuff, for, for our production crew growing their stuff. So, you know, we use a lot of uh, a lot of data on our sales in terms of uh, what we should produce, how many numbers, just based on historical trends. And that, call, that gives us a 70% baseline of what to grow. And then we introduce every year, we're doing different bits and pieces and some take off and some come and go. And um, yeah, so it, it is quite, uh, it is quite challenging, and I always say to the specifiers that it's really, really important to be talking to your nurseries about what you are looking for and what you're trying to achieve with your trees in the landscape so that we can hopefully, you know, we understand what they're looking for. We can try and predict a few trends. We can try and get this material down on the ground so that um, we have it because, you know, nurseries aren't like a brick factory where we can put some clay in one end and three months later we've got pallets of bricks it just it just doesn't work like that yeah and um i know that we've spoken before about you know sometimes uh someone might uh, request a tree that 
they may have seen growing, say, in Darling Harbour or in, in Sydney, and they think, well, I might grow that down in, you know, the tip of Victoria or northern Queensland, but you know that it's not a suitable tree. So how do you get around those sorts of situations? It's a bit like Pinterest with gardening. People see everything on Pinterest and they say, oh, I want that, but they don't realise that it's growing in a completely different environment. Yeah. So how do you overcome that? We do get this really, really regularly, and and it's often uh, driven by photos and images and all that sort of stuff, and and a concept behind it when the designers are or the or the landscape architects architects are putting it together. And look, the the only way to get around it, and it's not trying to get around it; it's trying to make the product that we're selling work for what the client is trying to achieve. So the best way. Uh, to, to approach it is to actually try and achieve what the landscape architect or designers, the specifiers for, for the want of a word, uh, are trying to achieve with that tree. So, you know, and where are they growing? Where are they growing it? And what environment is it? You know, is it out in a paddock? Is it is it a civil environment where, um, you know, it's around buildings? Is it, um, you know, is it a residential estate in heavy clay? All these sorts of uh, all these sorts of things need to be brought up. It's really important to be talking about what they're trying to achieve. So it's the tree shape, the uh, you know the the color, the form, the flowering, all these sorts of things. What the environment is? Is it is it laden to salt? Is it is it coastal? Is it is it uh, you know up in the hills? Is it you know what is the climatic conditions to choose a tree? So whilst we grow three hundred and fifty different trees. Um, I could tell you that I only grow 30 trees that are applicable on the foreshore at Darling Harbour or at Docklands at Melbourne. Uh, and, and then trees up in the hills where it might get cold and frost, there's numerous trees that we plant down in Melbourne that wouldn't, wouldn't tolerate the frost. So we need to achieve uh, all of the inputs such as climate, soils, environment, and then what they're trying to get out of that tree. And then it's best to try and suggest a particular line of trees that we know will perform. Um, So we sell to Adelaide, Melbourne and Sydney and all environments are particularly different. And we have properties in Echuca, which is up on the Riverland in in Northern Victoria on the border um, and one in the Dandenongs, which is cool climate um, and one on the front side of the Dandenongs, which is drier but cool climate. Um, and each site grows actually different trees, more specific to different environments. So our farm at Echuca is really good at supplying trees that are suited to the Adelaide Plains or the Western Plains of New South Wales and the Western Plains of Victoria, but then they're not suited to, you know, the Darling Harbour. So then we come down to our other places which grow different lines. So it's really important to put all that in the mix and then and then start trying to uh, help the specifiers choose the right tree that's going to perform. And, that, and that's what it's about. Is you want something that's going to be there for, for a long time, not something that's going to look, you know, no good in two to five years because it, it just is not the right tree for the right mm. location. So I suppose... Um... You know, if there's a message that you want to get out to people who are specifying plants is to get to know your growers, talk to your growers, and, uh, you know, before they actually put uh, pen to paper perhaps to have that discussion with you and say, well, look, you know, this is the environment I'm going to be doing a design for, 
Um, I want something with a broad canopy or I want something that's narrow and columnar in shape. Um, and then you can then recommend uh, yeah. one, what you've got, plus what, well, what, what is suitable and then it comes back to what you've got available. What's available. As yeah. well. Correct, because there's no yeah. point specifying something that you can't get on the market, especially yes. if you need it next year, especially. <laughs> Definitely. So I suppose uh, given that, um, the fact that you are spending so many years investing in um, growing a tree, maintaining it, I mean, it's a lot of man hours involved there and time and space in your nursery, you also as a business owner have to consider you know, what's practical for you and what's going to pay your bills, you know. So um, it, it's a, it makes sense to me that you would be growing things that are hardy, tough and, you know, going to uh, carry on. You talked about the other day what you, a legacy tree. Do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, so the legacy trees are trees that I, uh, I like to describe as something that's going to be around forever and it's going to be around for generations. It's not just a tree that's planted under a power line and it's going to be replaced in five or ten years' time. Um, a legacy tree is something that, you know, we're going to form a landscape, a park, something that's going to be around for a very long time. And there's so many options on, on legacy trees. We seem to get a little bit narrow-minded with, with big trees, but, you know, we can have small legacy trees and big legacy trees, but it's something that's going to be around for a long, long time. And, and that's what I'm more about. I guess we're, we're a grower and we're, we're probably one of the most patient growers because we're, we're growing trees that are so large and we have to wait so long. Um, and I have so many clients, particularly in the uh, residential landscape world and also uh, you know, local government parks and stuff like that, where they're looking for a tree that's going to last last for a very long time. So I use an example that, you know, a pyrus species, whether it's uh, Cleveland Select or a Manchurian pear, it, typically speaking is a short-lived tree. You know, if we get 30 to 40 years out of that tree, we're doing particularly well. More likely it's going to be 10 to 20 years. Um, that's not a legacy tree. All of a sudden, I'm talking about something like uh, an oak tree, for example, that will grow for 250 years, uh, or, or natives like angophoras or other types of eucalypts, which will grow for you know 150 years, no problems, and and be something that really provides not just from an environmental point of view, but from most an aesthetic point of view. I mean, we use trees. For aesthetics, that's what our business is about. Horticulture is amenity horticulture. That, that's what we're in. Um, so it's really, really important that, um, you know, that we choose the right tree again for the right environment and, and you know, the legacy tree that can be around forever and we're not just pulling it out and, and replacing it with something short-term again. Oh, definitely. And uh, no doubt, given, you know, the last couple of decades we've had... Um, long periods of drought and in fact in some parts of the country they're constantly in drought so um, I expect that you're supplying trees that will also fit into that environment and, and you know looking into the future with climate change and yeah look definitely what's, I mean, what's going to survive there's so much there's so much talk uh and also a lot of research starting to happen about the climate change particularly in the cities in the urban environments over 
you know, urban greening is a big, big word. And there's a lot of research going on about, you know, how the climate will change and it will get warmer and choosing the right tree for the right location. Um, and, and we all know uh, that climate change is real and it's a slow creep and it's, you know, it's slowly happening. But there are so many trees that, um, you know, that we we have in our arsenal that will fit uh, the future and be able to grow. I started back in 1992 uh, in the business and this species back then that we were growing and selling that we don't even grow anymore. They've just dropped off the face of the earth because they aren't performing in these warmer environments. Um, and, and we always saw things like oaks and the natives and ash and all these sorts of things that are performing in hot, dry environments. We've seen it before. We've, we've experienced all these droughts. We, we have a pretty good arsenal. You know, we, we don't yeah. need to be, uh, we don't need to be overly concerned that we're not going to have trees that are going to be growing. We just need to know which are the trees that are going to perform. And, and that arsenal is quite, quite large and it's still growing today. You know, we're still growing on Australian natives that we never knew about. Um, and, and there's still um, exotic trees that are coming to market today that we're figuring out that are a lot tougher than we originally thought. Um, you know, we've all been through droughts. Melbourne went through a, a horrific drought in 2009. Our nursery saw uh, a reduction in rainfall of over 70%. Um, oh, no. And that really did thin through some of the selections, but it was whilst it was a really tough time, it was also a really good time because we saw the trees that really did work. Um, and I remember my father saying that, you know, droughts come and go and floods come and go. And it's true. Now, now I've been in for 25 plus years. You kind of, the cycles are, are there and they're real. At the moment, we're going through a fairly wet cycle after just finishing another drought. Um, and you really see the trees that are performing. So, Unfortunately, in a little respect, whilst our arsenal is quite solid, um, we are becoming more narrow in what we're growing. We're, we're becoming a little bit smarter. Um, you know, I believe our 350 varieties that will grow will trim down to probably 300 varieties over the next, you know, 10 years. Um, but that's still a lot of trees to choose from. That's, yeah, it's, it's a non Oh, for sure. Or, you know, and, and, and that comes from your experience, no doubt, as to what is going to perform and bearing in mind that you are selling advanced trees as well. So people can still put in their smaller shrubbery and little trees and uh, ground covers and stuff that will constantly be changing. But I think as your, as your bones of a design, for example, uh, getting good solid trees that perform and do the job that they're designed to do, whether yeah. it be you know, a shade canopy, deciduous or non-deciduous. So, um, you know, people don't really need to worry about that. But from your perspective, I think looking for long-term and longevity of the product that you provide, it's, it's probably crucial that you grow what you know is going to perform. That's correct. And the evolution of trees is a lot slower as well compared to, you know, the plants and the filler plants and all the grasses and all that sort of stuff because they are such long-living things, whereas, you know, your ground covers are short, far shorter-lived. Um, so there's a lot quicker evolution in new varieties or new selections coming through. But with trees, it is a, it is a, a lot 
a lot slower, you know, as I said, six years for our first tree to be saleable. So, you know, mm. to change that or find a new selection of that particular variety, it's a slow, it's a slow grind. And, um, you know, it can take 20, 30 years for a new selection to come to market, let alone try it and see how it goes. And, and this is um, one of the things that concerns me a bit is we, we bring all these new things on the on our plant list, but we don't, we haven't seen them perform over 20, 30 years. We're just bringing them to mm. market and going, oh, this is something new. So we've got to have an open mind to try new things and understand there is risks with new selections because we don't have the beauty of time to sit there in a paddock and go, mm. you sit out there for 20 years and we can write an evaluation process on you every year and see what's happening. Unfortunately, mm. we probably have to try things a little bit more and, and take a few risks on, on new things if we want to keep our plant palette as open as we can do you have any favorite trees oh look i'm i'm a big 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 lover of big trees lots of space lots of shade lots of canopy and there's so many so many in there but i I do think my favorite uh genus would have to be quercus so the oaks in the trees yeah and that's in uh deciduous and and in uh in more the native line, big trees, it would probably have to be, uh, you know, I, I do like Angophora castata. I do really like uh, Corimbia maculata, but they're tried and tested uh, eucalypts that hang onto their branches pretty well, have pretty good structure and, and, and make beautiful specimen trees. So that would be my pick if I had all the land in the world to plant out some legacy trees. Yeah. Um, I've read some really lovely books over the last year or so about uh, the communication of trees, how they communicate, you know, through their underground root systems and bacteria and stuff. It's very interesting. So I must admit I'm, I am a tree lover and there's something, there's nothing nicer than going on a bushwalk and sitting under a beautiful big tree or trying to wrap your arms around its trunk. And Yeah, yeah so no, trees, it, are, it's, trees are very special because they're significant, they're sizable, they're very visual. Um, you know, everyone, in my opinion, I'm a little bit biased, but everyone gets something out of trees. I really do believe that. Oh, definitely. Okay, so have you got any other little uh, messages you'd like to get out there before we uh, finish up our our talk or is there anything um, else you'd like to add? Yeah, no, what, what I'd really like to say is that just for people to keep an open mind and try new things, the only way... We're going to keep our plant palette open and wide and and diverse, which is really, really important. Diversity in the trees that we plant is is by keeping an open mind and actually trying things and and taking a risk. And and it's got to be a calculated risk. Um, But, you know, talking to your growers is these guys are taking the risk six years before before anyone else is. So um, talking to your growers and, and working with them to me is, is the biggest, the most important part of choosing the trees that you're going to work with and, and, and design with. So how do you usually do that? Do you, do you uh, talk a lot with, with people that you work, like designers and specifiers? Do you yeah, well, have a lot of contact with them? Yeah, we do. We, we have a really good uh, collaboration with our designers and um, or specifiers, I like to call them, um, and, and then we try to run... Uh, and it's really hard in this day and age, and it's even harder at the moment with COVID, but we do try to run open days where people can come out and touch and feel and see see what we're doing and see what work actually goes into a, into a tree. Um, and, 
And one of the biggest things is trees are a, a living product, right? They're, they're a growing thing and they change every year. They, they, they get taller, they get wider, they grow more branches, all those sorts of things. Um, is that a tree, you don't just plant in and walk away. It's something that while for the first year you might be maintaining it to get it to re-establish in its newer landscape, but there's also so many things that need to go on to have a tree last forever, and that's, you know, ongoing pruning and all these sorts of things and overcrowding, thinning trees out and making others become bigger or planting more complementary plants. There's, there's so much to it. It's not just yes. a stagnant brick that you put on the side of a house and you walk away. It's it's a living yeah. product. And, you know, that's what's so exciting about it. I plant trees out in projects and then I go back five years later and go, oh, my gosh, that's so much different than than what it was five years ago. And it's, and it's great. And then you go back another 10 years and you go, oh, I supplied those trees. I can't believe that that's the way they're looking this day and age. Yeah. So, isn't, it, that, isn't that the old saying, when's the best time to plant a tree, 20 years ago? Yeah, correct. We're never maybe, quick enough. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, it's, um, you know, it's you certainly work with a, a lovely product and yeah. uh, I'm sure that the the maintenance and care of trees, we could probably do another three podcasts on that. <laughs> so, uh yeah, that's a, uh, that's that's a topic for should, itself. Yeah, it is. But, uh, yes, I suppose, um, you know, that's a, another area of discussion that you could also be having with your specifiers is, you know, who's going to be maintaining these trees. and Yeah, and also showing people how much work it is to get a tree to the market. You know, it's not as simple as putting in a, a seedling in the ground and coming no. back in six years' time and waiting for it. it. You know, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, not quite like the uh, garden shows that do the instant garden. It's uh, well, they do look fantastic um, when they're on, but uh, it's a oh, lot well, of work yeah. in the background, isn't it? Yeah, and often a lot of overplanting and that type of thing. I'm guilty of that myself in my own garden of overplanting to make it look nice and lush. But we you know, I'm happy to I'm happy to take things out from time to time. So that's it. Well, look. That's been lovely, Matt. Lovely talking to you, and um, certainly um, we've uh, we've. I've just done a, an article that touches on that topic after we spoke on Wednesday, which will be in the September edition of Hort Journal. So, mm-hmm. um, thanks to your input. So uh, anyway, we shall touch base again another time. So thanks very much for having us. Good luck with COVID and good luck with your business. And to you. Thank you very much for your time. Check the show notes or Google search Hort Journal Australia to subscribe and read more articles written by people like Matthew. If you liked this episode, you'll probably also like some of the other episodes we've done. I recommend checking out episode 71, Growing and Selling Herbs, episode 69, Connecting the Horticultural Industry, and episode 60, How to Plant Trees Like a Pro.